Welcome back to North Main Street Church of God. I'm so glad you're joining with us again this morning. It is Sunday, May the 17th. I hope your last week was really good, that you were able to enjoy your week and connect together as a family throughout the week in ways that maybe you haven't up to this point. Um, I hope you enjoyed our worship this morning from our worship team and you were able to sing along and even though it's not the same as when we're together, I hope you were able to feel a sweet sense of worship while you worship together at home. I also want to give you an opportunity this morning to give your tithes and offerings as I do every week. If you want to, please log on to www.northmaincog.org and there's a Give tab at the top of the home page. Just go ahead and click that. It will walk you through the process on how to give online. You could also text to give, and at the bottom of your screen today, you'll see the instructions on how to text to give if you choose to do that via your smartphone. Also, if you want to mail in your tithe and uh, tithe money, your checks, please feel free to do that again to the church. We have people checking the mail daily, uh, again, manning our phones daily. Uh, you can mail that to 1201 North Main Street Extension. Again, that's Butler and it's 16001. Anyway, now that we've gotten that out of the way, you've probably heard by now, we are gonna be opening up again soon, but it's gonna be a phased in approach to opening up. And it will take approximately two and a half months. If you haven't gotten a mailer or you haven't received an email from the church, please call the church at 724-285-4214 so we can get you on that mailing list and give you the details about how we're gonna be reopening. I will also be posting a video uh, that should be available on YouTube or Facebook that'll give you more details about what opening up for North Main looks like as, as we go over these next few months together and slowly coming back together uh, physically and face-to-face -face as a church. If, you join, if you're just joining me today, we are actually working through a series and are going to continue to work through the, this series uh, through the end of the month of May called Joy in Correction. Uh, today's sermon is entitled Going Through the Motions. And I, I'm drawing these next few sermons for this month from the book of Amos. Amos is a minor prophet in the Old Testament and it's about nine chapters long and Amos was a prophet to the northern kingdom. Now he was from Judah, the southern kingdom, because you have now two nations at this time period in history. So you have the northern kingdom of Israel called Israel and the southern kingdom of Israel called Judah. And Judah is comprised of Benjamin, Simeon, um, and, and Judah itself as a tribe. So this is what's going on. It's about probably around seven to 800 years before Jesus comes onto the scene. Uh, and Amos is addressing some core issues uh, within the nation of Israel that just are not really going well. And I wanna pull from that today. How many of you, um, tend to go through the motions. And here, here's what I mean. We go through the motions by mindlessly wandering from thing to thing, activity to activity, without much of a thought or any mental acuity. It's just like going rote through these 
processes on a daily basis. We, most of us know what it's like to go through, say, morning routines, daily routines, uh, emotionless and somewhat robotic-like. That is, at least we used to. Since we've had to stay at home, our routines and our, our monotonies have been disrupted. We've been able, um, we've not been able to go to business as usual. We've not been able to go to work in many cases. Instead, we've been thrown into this tailspin of worry and anxiety and just flat out fear of the future. Is that what you've been experiencing? At least in my home, that's what we've been experiencing. However, maybe this is what we've needed, not just as individuals, but as a church. Maybe we've needed to put the brakes on. Maybe, just maybe, we've needed a disruption in our routines to wake us up to the reality of the world around us. Maybe we've needed an interruption in our daily life cycles. Maybe God has been trying to get our attention for so long that it took something like this to awaken us to the reality of His presence and His purposes in the world around us. And I think there's this natural tendency for the human soul to drift over time. When we get caught in cycles and routines and those kind of things, we tend to drift. The human soul and mind and psyche and emotions, all of that tends to drift. There's also this tendency, I think, for the church to drift, which is God's people. And I think it's subtle at first, just a micro degree off course, but then without notice, we find ourselves adrift in a sea of challenges, multiple different worldviews, opinions, empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense, that confuse and distort the truth so much that we don't know right from wrong half the time. Would you not agree that that's the case right now with all of the different news reports you're seeing from whichever news source you're getting it from? Whichever medical professional you're hearing from? Wouldn't you agree that somewhere the truth is in there, but one person's saying this thing, another person's saying quite the opposite? What do we know truly to be the case? What is truth? And honestly, it's at this point that we often are at the mercy of a plethora of voices vying for our attention, all of whom have captivating and convincing arguments for the case. However, I think there's this most important voice. There's this one voice we should be listening to, the one that I believe that even within the church we've forgotten, especially during this time where we've been staying at home listening to the news, reading the newspapers, watching the news on TV. I want us to take a look at the book of Amos and actually compare it to what's going on today. Amos is this short, like I said, nine chapter book. It's written by the prophet Amos to the northern kingdom of Israel. He's writing during a time when the nation of Israel is full of wealth, it's full of prosperity, things are going great. They're full of military might and conquest, but they're also full of pride and arrogance. Having drifted so far from God, this is what happens. They've lost their moorings as the people of God. You see, Israel is merely living on borrowed time at this point when Amos is writing his book. God has been patient with their foolishness, their sinful behavior. 
having warned these people, the nation of Israel, over and over and over again. But now, let's be honest, judgment time is about to fall, and Amos is God's messenger. I would have hated to have been Amos in that day and age, letting them know, here's what's coming. God is done. He's exceeded his point of patience with you, and judgment is imminent. I would hate to be that. But in some sense, isn't that what pastors and spiritual leaders are today? They're voices for God to the people of God, not just during times of crisis, but during, during times of joy and hope. Let's read from Amos chapter 5. I'm reading from the New Living Testament today, and I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's 27 verses long. Uh, follow along with me if you want to. Uh, here's how it reads. Listen, you people of Israel, listen to this funeral song I'm singing. What is Amos saying? He's saying, I'm giving you a funeral song. The nation is about to come under judgment from God, and this is technically a funeral dirge that I'm giving to you. He goes on in verse 2 to say this, The virgin Israel has fallen. Why does he call her the virgin? Because she is pure, she is holy, has been at least. She is the bride of God. She is the adornment of God. But now this virgin Israel has fallen, never to rise again. She lies abandoned on the ground with no one to help her up. The sovereign, sovereign Lord says, when a city sends a thousand men to battle, only a hundred will, will return. When a town sends a hundred, only ten will come back alive. Do you hear what he's saying? Listen, your pride, your arrogance, your military might, all of the pomp and circumstance, all of the wealth you have, it's for naught. Because here's what's getting ready to happen. When you go out into battle, it's going to not bode well for you. It's going to be bad. Verse 4, now this is what the Lord says to the family of Israel. Come back to me and live. Now, do you hear what he's doing here? He's saying judgment is imminent, but if you just repent, just, just come back to me. Come back to me and live. Don't worship at the pagan altars at Bethel. and Don't go to the shrines at Gilgal or Beersheba. For the people of Gilgal will be dragged off into exile. And the people of Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Come back to the Lord and live. Otherwise, he will roar through Israel like a fire, devouring you completely. Your gods in Bethel, they won't be able to quench the flames. Now, what was going on during this time? What's he talking about? Bethel, Gilgal, Beersheba. So here's the thing. Bethel had become one of the centers of worship of the northern kingdom. Bethel has a very significant place within the history of the whole nation of Israel, not just the northern kingdom. You can go back and read about that in, in, in 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Samuel and even further back. You can check all of that out if you want to on your own time. But Bethel now, as a part of the northern kingdom in the northern territory, has become the one of the places of the centers of worship. So has Gilgal. Now let me explain what Jeroboam II, who is now king over the northern king kingdom of Israel, what he's done. At these holy places of worship that used to be worshipped for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they've now become holy places of worship for little g-gods. 
So Jeroboam has set up golden calves, very reminiscent of the time period in Exodus whenever Moses is on the mountaintop at Sinai and Aaron is, is now formulating and forming this golden calf out of the jewelry that's been melted down to the people of Israel. So what's going on? The northern kingdom has lost their moorings. They've forgotten who they are and whose they are, and they've drifted so far now. God is saying, I'm done. I don't care about your worship anymore because it's nothing to me. Your worship is worthless to me. You worship golden calves and pagan gods. I'm not in that. I've never been in that, God says. And so eventually, if you aren't willing to come back to me and live, I'm going to roar through the kingdom like a mighty fire, devouring you completely. What about verse 7? He goes on to say, You twist justice, making it bitter, a bitter pill for the oppressed. You treat the righteous like dirt. This is what he's saying the northern kingdom is doing. You, you, make, you make justice a bitter pill. Do you think our judicial system is messed up? Do you think there's, if you know the right people at the right times, you get off scot-free, but if you don't, you're pretty much up a creek? It says you make this justice a bitter pill for the oppressed. You treat the righteous like dirt. How many times have religious people and the righteous people of God within a society been mocked and treated like dirt. And, the, and what do we do as a church? Well, we don't want to come across as too lame for society. So we don't, and we don't want to be treated like dirt. So we'll change and become like what the world wants us to. No, 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 no. See, there's a difference in, in, in becoming all things to all people so that in all ways we might save some, the way Paul, did, the way Paul described himself, versus becoming like the world so as not to be discredited or to be treated like dirt. Let's go on to verse 8. It's the Lord who created the stars, the Pleiades and Orion. He darkens, he turns darkness into morning and, and day into night. He draws up water from the oceans and pours it down like rain on the land. The Lord is his name. With blinding speed and power, he destroys the strong, crushing all of their defenses. What's he saying there? Here's the thing. He's saying, you know, these gods, these golden calves that you guys have set up at Bethel and Gilgal and other places, and these little g-gods you're worshiping, they can't do anything for you. I'm the one who put all of the constellations in the sky that you chart courses by in your ships and boats. Or when you set out on a journey across land, you look to the skies, to Pleiades and Orion, to determine your location. I'm the one who put those there. No other God has done that. And he says, I'm the one who's able to turn darkness into morning and day into night. I'm the one that has set the seasons in motion and the rotation of the earth on its axis and the revolution of the earth around the sun. I'm the one who, who draws up water through this process called condensation from the oceans and eventually condense it into a form called rain that pours down on the land. That is me, God says. And then he goes on to say in verse 10, O Israel, how you hate honest judges. How you despise the people who tell the truth. You trample on the poor, stealing their grain through taxes and unfair rent. 
<laughs> Does that sound familiar? Do you think your taxes are too high or the rent is unfair? Do you think your financial situation, not just because of unemployment and the circumstances we found ourselves in, but even before this time, did you like how things have been playing out in the world around us and how they've played out maybe for a few decades up to this point or even longer? He goes on to say, you trample the poor, stealing their grain through taxes and unfair rent. Therefore, though you build beautiful stone houses, he's talking about the elite, the powerful, the aristocracy of that day and age in northern Israel. Therefore, though you build beautiful stone houses, you will never live in them. Though you plant lush vineyards, you will never drink the wine from them. For I know the vast number of your sins, God says, and the deep or the great depths of your rebellions. You oppress good people by taking bribes. You deprive the poor of justice in the courts. So those who are smart keep their mouths shut, for it is an evil time. Do what's good. Run from evil, he says, so that you may live. Then the Lord God of heaven's armies will be your helper, just as you have claimed. Hate evil and love what's good. Turn your courts into the halls of justice. Perhaps even the Lord God of heaven's armies will have mercy on the remnant of his people. Maybe even though the vast majority of people in the nation don't turn to me, maybe, just maybe, God will have mercy on the remnant of people who continue to be righteous. Therefore, this is what the Lord God of heaven's armies says. There will be crying in all the public squares and mourning in every street. Call for the farmers to weep with you and summon professional mourners to wail. There will be wailing in every vineyard, for I will destroy them all, says the Lord. What sorrow awaits you who say, if only the day of the Lord were here. You have no idea what you're wishing for, he says. That day will bring darkness, not light. See, they had an idea that the day of the coming of the Lord would be a great thing because in Amos' day, they were waiting on a Messiah to come and truly lead them in power and might and glory. But they have no idea what they were wishing for. Because, they, because God says, and Amos writes, that day will bring darkness for you, not light. In that day, you will be like a man who, who runs from a lion only to meet a bear, escaping from the bear as he leans his hands against a wall in his house and he's bitten by a snake. Yes, the day of the Lord will be uh, dark and hopeless without a, without a ray of joy or hope. I hate all of your show and pretense, he says, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings anymore. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise, your favorite pieces of music. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice an endless river of righteous living. I don't care what songs you sing, he's saying. I don't care what things you bring me in the offering plate. I don't care the sacrifices you make on my behalf. All I care about is how you live your life for me. 
Verse 25, and let me close with this paragraph in this passage of Scripture. Was it to me you were bringing sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness of Israel? No, you, you served your pagan gods, Sakuth, your king god, and Kaiwan, your star god, the images you made for yourselves. So I will send you into exile to a land east of Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of heaven's armies. So what's a key point this morning? What, what's the whole takeaway from those 27 verses of Scripture? It's this. God desires our heart more than He desires what we offer Him. Now let me explain that because I know you're going to need some explanation on that. It sounds somewhat counterproductive or counterintuitive, but let me, let me express it this way. When God desires our heart more than He desires what we offer Him, He looks upon the heart. If you remember whenever um, um, God had sent Samuel to find another king, He went to the house of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David, who would become King David. But he's going through this whole line of older brothers. And Eliab is the tall, strong, older brother. And God says, no, 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 Samuel, that's not the one. You're only looking on the outside appearance, but I look upon the heart. That's what God is saying here. I don't care about what's on the outside as much as I care about what's on the inside. I judge based on the content of the heart, the mind, and the actions that flow from that. You see, what the, what the nation of Israel had done was so worthy of punishment and judgment of God. But what was it that was so worthy of punishment and judgment of God? Well, the first thing this morning is this. They repeatedly chose the ways of the world over and against God's way. See, Amos repeatedly calls out the nation of Israel because of their oppression of the poor, the corruption of power, and their worship of other gods, little g-gods. God has reached his limit with the nation of Israel and will not refrain from what he's about to do to them. He's come to the point where I'm, he's basically saying, I'm up to here, no more. Time and time again, God has warned the nation of Israel and its leaders. He's offered grace and mercy when they didn't deserve it, but now is a final warning. This judgment from God is imminent on the nation of Israel. So how does this apply to us today? See, over the course, I think, of our nation's history, uh, nearly 250 years of existence, we the people have had to have many course corrections along the way due to the convictions placed on the hearts of men and women in our nation. We've gone from a monarchy to, re to a republic. We've gone from slavery to emancipation. We've gone uh, from women not being able to vote to women being able to vote. We've gone from, uh, from children being hard-pressed into labor, and now we have labor laws for children to emancipate them in some way. We, we've, we've seen, even in the, the, the 20th century, the civil rights movement for African Americans to be able to sit at a table or a countertop or, or in a place in a bus is equally as any white person. You see, the founding fathers of the United States of America knew what it was like for nations and people to drift. They, they and their ancestors had experienced this for centuries under monarchs, emperors, tyrannical rulers, but they also knew that they needed to start somewhere. So, where did they start? They started by writing our founding documents, rooted in Judeo-Christian teachings from Scripture, from the Bible. 
They knew that the freest and most prosperous nation could only exist by a people whose faith was rooted in God through Jesus Christ and whose life was lived in the Word of God, Scripture. Without that, a nation and its people, they knew this, would ultimately crumble from the inside out. What we see today, I think, in our, in our situation is a nation at drift, a nation who has lost its way and purpose. We see a nation whose God is not big G God, but rather idols of our own making. Money, sex, murder, corruption, greed, the list can go on and on. You see it daily. You know the fight that we have on our hands in our nation with so many different laxed opinions on what is moral and what is immoral, what is true versus what is false. All of these things and more have taken over the psyche of our nation and they've ultimately consumed us. And not only have they consumed us as we the people, they've consumed the church within our nation. They've found their way in through the doors of the church to begin to break us down internally as well. Has God maybe used or allowed this current crisis that we're in to wake us up? Do we still have time to make a course correction? I think we do. I think God's saying, wake up, church in America. Wake up, church globally. Wake up. But I think what it's going to take is time, intentionality, and I think it's going to take repentance. Repentance is where we must start as a nation if we want to see God do and move and break forth in a mighty revival to start changing the hearts and the lives of men and women. But it starts with you and me. It starts with the local church. It's not going to start with the government officials. If you putting stock and hope in your government officials you're barking up the wrong tree. You're looking for the wrong solution. One of the other things I think, one of the other things I think we can learn from this passage of scripture today is, is that the northern kingdom of Israel, they chose a self-pleasing worship of God rather than a God-honoring worship. Let me, let me talk about this. Let's flash forward from Amos just up to Jesus, not to our day and age, but just up to Jesus. It wasn't much different. By this time in history, by Jesus' time in history, the northern kingdom had already come and gone. The Assyrians took it over. The Babylonians ended up coming in and taking it over. Then you have the Medo-Persian kingdom. Then you have the Greek kingdom come in under Alexander the Great. And then you have the Roman Empire coming up. And now by Jesus' day and age, the Roman Empire is the great ruler of most of this vast region of the world. And so what's going on in Jesus' day and age? The religious leaders of Jesus' day and age, and also the people of God, they were starting and, and continuing to perpetuate these man-made ideas of worship rather than God-honoring worship that was commanded by God Himself. What they ended up doing is were, they, they ended up making a mockery of God by trying to manipulate Him to bless them. Now check this out. Matthew chapter 15 verses 7 through 11. Jesus addresses the religious leaders and the structure of his world during that day and age. And he's speaking directly to the religious leaders. He says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is... It's a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. And then Jesus called out to the crowd, it says, to come and hear. 
He says, listen, everybody gather around and try to understand what I'm going to say. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you, but you're defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. In another place, Jesus calls the religious leaders out by saying in Matthew chapter 12, you brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the mouth, the heart speaks, or out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Listen to this. During Amos' day, rather than truly worshiping the God of heaven and earth, the nation of Israel began to treat their holy days and their gatherings. So let, let's just say they, used, they would treat their Sunday worship services. Let me put that into some modern context. And their gatherings, their social events together as the, the church. They did that to honor themselves rather than God. You see, their worship gatherings had the look of tradition, but the smell of putrefaction. It had the smell of rotting flesh to God. They were bringing God all the right things, but with all of the wrong motives. And their actions within the community didn't match their actions in their times and their places of worship. See, it was all about them. It was all about what they wore, what, what, what they looked like. It was all about how much money they had. It was all about whether there were more people in the pews than the other place down the street. It was, all about, it was all about them. It was never about God. Have we done that in our communities of faith? Maybe, maybe, just maybe, this is why God is also giving us an opportunity to put the brakes on and stop as a community of faith, to stop as a global community, to stop as a nation and say, wake up. I'm done with this frivolous worship. I'm done with your bickering over hymns versus contemporary, over, over places or styles of worship. Maybe he's wanted us out of the building for a little while to get us to refocus on those things that are most important. You know what I think has been most important? What I've missed the most as your pastor? I miss seeing you face to face. I realize that in spite of everything else, I could set everything else aside. It's something about would we come together face to face and we worship God together and we fellowship together and we pray together no matter what that looks like no matter what structures we use no matter what modes or methods when we truly come together as the body of Christ to fellowship together in this sweet unity that's what I miss I don't miss a favorite hymn from the hymn book or a favorite song. I don't miss uh, this one thing over another. I miss you. I hope you feel the same. Here's the question. Has what was going on in the northern kingdom of Israel began to become our tendency as well? Have we forgotten the meaning and the purpose of our gathering together? Has our focus drifted to what makes us more comfortable and happy rather than what honors God and truly pleases Him? Those are the questions we need to be asking right now. You see, maybe, maybe it's taken something like a pandemic for us to change and to be truly centered on the things of God. Maybe it's taken a full stop in our everyday routines and going through the motions as a church to clearly see and evaluate fully and to check our motives in why we do the things we do as a church. Maybe it's truly time to get back to, as that one 
worship song says, to the heart of worship. And what is the heart of worship? It's God and nothing more. There's a song by Christian singer and songwriter Matthew West called The Motions that I believe honestly encapsulates all of this together and kind of can bring us to a little bit of a conclusion this morning. And, and, and listen to these lyrics. The first verse says, This might hurt, it's not safe, but I know that I've got to make a change. I don't care if I break, at least I'll be feeling something. Because just okay is not enough. Help me to fight through the nothingness of life. Then second verse, it goes like this. No regrets, not this time. I'm going to let my heart defeat my mind. Let your love make me whole. I think I'm finally feeling something. Because just okay is not enough. Help me fight through the nothingness of this life. And then the chorus. I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to go one more day with all your, without your all-consuming passion inside of me. I don't want to spend my whole life asking, what if I had given everything instead of going through the motions? Here's the point. Until our heart and our passion alone is God, we're going to continue to merely tread water at best or sink and drown at worst. Now, I don't want to be found merely treading water anymore. When, when Christ comes back, I don't want to tread water. I want to, be, I want to be rowing in one direction. I want to be swimming in a direction. I don't want to stay off course. Do you? I think we need to resolve today to place God not only at the center of our hearts and attentions, but also in the center of of our focus as a church. To get over the petty grievances and, and differences that we have and to begin to live life on purpose, focused on God through Christ Jesus. It's time to repent, church. It's time to get back to the heart of worship, the true heart of worship. Not what I want to be worship, but what God desires of my worship. You see, God desires our heart more than He desires our offerings. Let me pray over you this morning, and I'll let you get about your day. Father, the men, women, children, teenagers, young adults, all within an earshot of my prayer this morning, I pray, God, that you would do a transforming work on their heart. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would open their hearts to your tender mercies, to your rebuke, to your correction. I pray, Heavenly Father, that as a church, you would forgive us where we've gotten off course, where we focused on the wrong things, when we've bickered and complained and been divided over silly, silly things that don't amount to anything within the grand scheme of eternity. Forgive us of our sins, O oh Father. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We repent of leaving you and wandering off in the weeds so many times. Transform us. Make us into new creations. Give us a renewed sense of vision and purpose as the body of Christ for the things that you desire from us and of us. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.
Until next week, God bless you. I love you. Stay safe. Bye.